Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind, Episode 71. Nobody comes into this with the patience that's required to carry it out. But I've noticed that because life happens, there is increased patience. There's increased capacity. There's flexibility and resiliency to go back to the drawing board and try and figure it out again. Knowing that bad days are part of the deal, you're just going to have them. And that good days have to be purchased with the price of developing patience or fortitude or some other noble quality. It puts you in the right frame of mind. Benjamin Franklin once said, Do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. are ready to set your mind on fire and prepare yourself for the luminous mind with your host Rebecca Bowman today's fire starter is Sandy Osborne Sandy has been homeschooling for 18 years she's initiated several group schools and clubs over the years and has served as president of the Ida home educators she is currently founding a private school called the first foundations Academy. welcome Sandy thank you I'm excited to have you Sandy I've actually been trying to get her to interview with me for quite a while every time I get a referral it has you in there <laughs> I've been wanting to talk to you. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family, maybe some of your hobbies and passions? All right. Well, I grew up in mostly in the Twin Falls area. And then I went to college at Ricks College and I majored in elementary education. My husband and I have been married for 25 years and have seven amazing children. The oldest is almost 23 and our youngest is four. So quite a bit of time (laughs) rearing (laughs) children there. Um, As far as passions or interests go, I'd have to say that I'm really passionate at defining what truth is. How do I explain that? That involves a lot of discussions, lots of non-required study, lots of blogging. Well, maybe not lots, but that's what I'd like to do with my time. Um, And my latest on-again, off-again passion is working on my family history. I really enjoy getting to know my roots and the the legacy that I've come from and that I'm passing on to my children. That's really neat. Well, and as far as finding the truth, I think that's hopefully all of our homeschoolers that are trying to be good mentors to their children. (laughs) Hopefully that's (laughs) what we're... It's a good objective, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So what was your personal educational experience like? Uh, Well, I love my personal schooling. I was a very... I'm a very duty-bound girl, kind of like to be obedient and do what I'm told to do. So I, I played the schooling game pretty well, answered the questions, complied to the teachers. You know, I was on the honor roll, didn't do great all the time and, you know, getting 100% all the time, but did pretty good. But my best part was playing with friends. That was my interest in going to school was to hang <laughs> with friends. <laughs> and I just kind of went through the experience without even without any interest in obtaining an education. It was it just wasn't even a part of the deal. I was doing what I was told to do and enjoying the ride. So my dad, when I was looking at college, he suggested that I might consider education, which at the time I didn't realize he had. That was his major. But I thought, well, his advice is a lot easier than me having to figure out what I want to do on my own. So I chose elementary education as my major. My husband, however, had a horrible schooling experience. (laughs) He is not a textbook learner at all. Exceptionally bright. He was almost too bright to answer the questions because he'd always find a variable that they didn't want to consider. And 
he didn't do that. So he was completely open to us homeschooling. So. <laughs> well, and that is interesting. Like kids that are a little smarter, the teacher has a hard time relating to them sometimes. And then you know, they get marked. All their questions are wrong. They're not seeing the world like her, even though intelligence wise, <laughs> they yep. may be well above her. So. He didn't put the correct answer. He put, what are the variables? <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. So is that why you chose to homeschool from his urging or other reasons? No, I really had no intention of homeschooling. I was just on autopilot, had my daughter enrolled in preschool. She did about half a year when my husband's job required that he had to travel and we had the opportunity to go with him. So I thought, well, this is as good a time as any to, to give it a try. So I've always been intrigued with those that had homeschooled. My older sister homeschooled and have met a few people through the years. But I remember looking into the curriculum and I was just amazed at the amount of choices there were and the different approaches and ways you could look into that. I began to narrow down what I liked and what I I wanted for my children. And I was discussing with my older sister about the choices. And I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know exactly what I'm not going to do. I can't stand these curriculums that have God in everything. It just seemed like they were targeting the religious market to make a profit, you know, like priestcraft. And it was really disconcerting. I was I was uncomfortable with that. And I I'm sorry, what? Oh, that's just an interesting way to look at it. It it just really felt like the philosophies of man mingled with scripture. I just couldn't swallow that. I, I could tell I had said the wrong thing to her because she looked a little confused and maybe a little hurt. And then she sheepishly said that those were her favorite curriculums (laughs) for that very reason that they incorporate God into all of the learning and that it was was a very religious base. I don't remember how I backtracked out of that conversation, but I've reflected on it a lot again and again going, why did that bother me so much? Why, Why was that so uncomfortable for me to see what I learned on Sunday incorporated in what I learned the rest of the week? And I guess it came down to one thing. What is truth? Is what I believe on Sunday true? Or is what I learned during the week true? Is it a secular knowledge? Or is it a a religious knowledge? And if it's one or the other, I shouldn't be. (laughs) If it's religion, I shouldn't have a problem with it being part of my learning. If it's secular, then I shouldn't be dedicating my Sundays to going to church. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. So do you wonder if maybe I mean, I remember feeling that same way. And I've actually taught my children probably more secular than a lot of homeschoolers because of that. And it's uh-huh. taken some time for me to change my philosophy like that. But it might be because of our upbringing, you know, going through the traditional school, we're always told to separate church and state that we can't put I those agree. together. And that's what I figured was why I was uncomfortable was just because I've had 12 years of training that th- those are not compatible. <laughs> but <laughs> subconsciously at at, at best. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they were together, it was uncomfortable. And I thought, well, why is that? What, What is the truth? Where is my allegiance? Do I believe it or don't I? And I think I've studied enough of truth to know that I stand on the side of faith. And so homeschooling is a viable option for me to not be hypocritical in that aspect of my life, that in education is also part of who I am. Yeah. It includes that religious aspect. You've homeschooled your kids from the beginning, right? I mean, have they I ever- did. My oldest was in preschool when we started traveling with my husband. And so we pulled her out and we started from the first day. So you've never really had the de-schooling problems that some homeschooling parents have. Well. <laughs> other than your own self. I've, <laughs> I've had my, what I call a moment. <laughs> I don't remember what I was working on, but I was all of a sudden overcome with this heavy, oppressive feeling that 
filled with fear and failure that I was doing the wrong thing. You know, oh my goodness, I'm damaging my child. I'm so ill qualified for this. And I, I majored in elementary education, but I still felt so wrong to be doing this. And I remember how paralyzed and horrible that feeling was. And I turned to the Lord in prayer and I said, please help me. What do I do? Do I put her in school? And I kind of had a little Joseph Smith experience where it was from paralysis to complete peace, complete assurance and confidence that this was exactly what the Lord wanted me to do with my children. And so do you ever have I times felt- like that again? Though? Oh, Were desperate? You? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I can look back on that and just say, yep, that's okay. We'll figure it out. Well, and once again, just like the religious thing, maybe that's another kind of ingrained thing that we're taught that somehow the experts, you know, sending your child to somebody else to teach them is the best method or something. Because I felt that too. You know, even though I've been with them from the time they were conceived, you know, basically. And Isn't that just, interesting? Yeah. We're, just, we're their parents and we're given that stewardship. And I even majored in elementary education and I still felt home was wrong. And I, mm, why is that? <laughs> that is interesting. So can you tell me about your educational philosophy then? Well, let's see. When you think about taking a perfectly innocent and malleable child and shape them into whatever product you want, (laughs) it's a terrifying and a huge undertaking. If you move forward in that process, whether you homeschool or put them in public school or anyway, any type of education you give them without a clear purpose or an understanding of the potential outcome, it could be damaging to the child and to society at, at large. Add to that the knowledge that each child is given a charge or a divinely appointed mission to fulfill on this earth and that the education that they receive is laying the groundwork of whether they will be successful or not, and that whatever intelligence they obtain in this life, it will give them that much advantage in the the next life. It seems overwhelming. It's a perfectly daunting task. But obviously, the public school system doesn't take those facts or those factors into consideration when they they set up their system. And so um, I've had to look elsewhere for guidance. I've run across leadership education, And I'm sure you've heard a lot of that and and so have your listeners. But leadership education creates greatness in both the good and the bad. You can look at Thomas Jefferson or you can look at Machiavelli. Both of them were leadership education. And so if they don't have that moral and that spiritual as part of their curriculum, you're not sure what you're going to (laughs) get. Exactly. Uh, And so studying the greats and learning how to think just isn't sufficient. Both of them, let's see, we, we live in the fullness of the gospel. And we also live in a time where Satan's greatest deceptions are on the earth. And so both of them are competing for our allegiance. And so I think we need to make sure that we have both of those aspects as part of our education. And so I'd say my philosophy is define what is truth and then learn to master that. Wow. So that just goes perfectly (laughs) into our next question is how that pair. I mean, I think we've kind of talked about that, how that paradigm and your educational philosophy changed over time with or with experience. Do you have more to add on that? Well, I don't know that it changed over time so much as I was on autopilot and I was exposed to something new and it just rang true. And so it was kind of an unveiling or a discovering of what my philosophy is in my own experience. I've heard Dr. DeMille a lot, and this is kind of how we made that transition. I've heard him speak several times, and I think I even read his book, but it didn't have a lot of pull on my heart. You just kind of, oh, you know, there's a lot of merit there, and I probably should, but it just doesn't work with my being able to micromanage my children's education. I'd become pretty good at that. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but then it happened, 
my lovely, super structured, all-encompassing, color-coded schedule failed. I had a daughter who couldn't progress. She wouldn't progress at all, and she let alone thrive. And so I was at a breaking point. Either I give up or I change my expectations. I look for something else, a, a drastic, radical approach. And so I did both. I gave up trying to get her to read, and I just focused on loving her and strengthening that relationship. And by the end of the year, she picked up a two-inch thick, you know, those big books <laughs> on the binding. And she picked that up and read it all on her own. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was just floored. I was totally unprepared for that. But I was also totally ticked. Nobody had told me that children will go through the process of doing those hard things on their own if they're not required, if their spiritual, emotional needs are met, and don't have distractions, those unnecessary distractions in the way. So I took a, a more thorough look at leadership education. <laughs> <laughs> and how that could work. That's great. So is, was that the best advice you received to help you change your educational philosophy? You know, a friend and I were talking about this the other day, trying to help maybe see what we could do to encourage others on their journey to look outside the box in regard to education. And we wondered if that could be duplicated or if there was some advice or something we could do to help them in that. And I don't know that you can. I don't think there's something that we can say that will help somebody be ready for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that you have to when come you, to that truth on your own. Yeah. When you look at how the federal government unconstitutionally usurps the local education powers just because they hold the mighty dollar or how the humanist religion is not only allowed to be taught in our schools, but at the annihilation of our own religious views. And for those who are LDS, the history of revealed educational principles, how the saints supported the public schools, even though the church leaders were adamantly opposed to it. There is no logical reason why people aren't there already. I think it's just a, you have to be there. You have yeah. to be ready. Well, and when you go through that system, it just is really hard to pull yourself away from it. I mean, I've had that struggle for years. We've created a lot of mental blocks that don't allow that to happen very easily. Yeah. At least that's my well, own Well, 12 opinion. years of training. <laughs> yeah. 12 years of training. Yep. Yeah. I love how you talked about, you know, the the mighty dollar. The crazy thing is, is those are our dollars that they take away from us. And then they act like it's some <laughs> gift that they're giving back to us. I hope you don't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what do you think about socialization? And what do you think it means to be socialized? Well, my kids are pretty much social nerds. <laughs> <laughs> No, I say that tongue in cheek. But when you think about it, my kids don't know how to roll a joint. Uh, they don't They don't understand what negative peer pressure is. They don't know how to value their peers above their parents or their siblings. And their biggest bully is their father, <laughs> who, who makes them raise an animal or take care of a stewardship. Yeah, they haven't been able to ride on a bus. But, you know, most kids hate that experience anyway. Oh, yeah, so. I was going to say <laughs> My kids were like, that was the one thing that they wanted to do is just ride on the bus. And, you know, they got the opportunity once or twice just with doing some local stuff here. And they're like, yeah, that is really no fun. I told like, them. Well, that was that. Was that. Okay. I, yeah, I told them that that's actually where I gained most my education and none of it was good. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think it means to be socialized? Well, the point of socialization is to prepare kids to, you know, interact healthfully in society. The public school's approach to that is you put a large number of kids from a large variety of backgrounds to interact with each other. Um, it's very competitive, survival of the fittest feeling with popularity being the rise up the social ladder 
objective, but it creates a, a big class system, the peers who reverence those who intimidate and the required tolerance of those who are considered inferior. But the system is very successful at establishing the social expectations of corporate America or the society of classes. Homeschooling, on the other hand, has a smaller number of peers and there is less variance in the type of people to interact with. But there are still plenty, plenty of social opportunities, a lot of ways to interact socially. But it has a more family unit based feeling and with an all men are created equal being the social objective. Um, They might be at different levels, but all men are created equal. And since homeschoolers are not limited to the age bracket, they have opportunities that public schools kids might miss out on at this stage of development. The system produces not only healthy adult skills and inspiring the American dream, but it also has the eternal elements of socialization, which, as you know, we're going to be in that society a lot longer than we are in this society. When you look at those two, you kind of, hmm, which one do I want? <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, is when you have children, like you said, that kind of they learn that class system and then they get out into the real world and they try to be the bully okay. <laughs> or the boss. You know, they try to bully their way to the top. A lot of times they end up being hit with like sexual harassment charges or stuff that was totally and perfectly OK in school all of a sudden becomes very like it, it isn't. And the competitiveness. I've seen that with my children. You know, my kids don't understand why everyone wants to compete all the time. I mean, even trying to get to the drinking fountain, you know, in other words, like, <laughs> why don't you just, well, we work together. Well, I'll get a drink. Take turns. <laughs> exactly. So that's interesting. Thank you. So what would you say your biggest obstacles that you face are and what have you learned from those obstacles? Oh, what's that scripture that says sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof? (laughs) It seems that every day holds an obstacle of some sort. Sometimes the same as the previous, whether siblings are bickering or challenges with learning disabilities or there are more to do's than can be done's. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, other times it's different things like the weather or you're just not in the mood, don't have the energy or your husband calls or there's interruptions or appointments. Anyway, so it's hard to pinpoint the biggest obstacle. But as I was thinking about this, I remember hearing an address by a gentleman who had been studying a lot of Greek literature. And the Greek, you know, have a certain pronunciation that varies a little from ours, such as Hercules or Socrates or Pericles. And so when he was in that frame of mind, he looked at a word and he read it, obstacles. It (laughs) took him a little while to adjust his perspective and realize that he read obstacles. (laughs) (laughs) But from that time on, he envisioned obstacles as this little guy named Obstacles who was out there, whose purpose was to disrupt and destroy whatever he was trying to accomplish. And I think he even drew a picture of it and mounted it on his wall so he could see this enemy that's out there trying to put these roadblocks in his way. And so it motivated him to engage in a type of warfare against it. So, yeah, (laughs) I'd say my biggest obstacle is the daily visitor named Obstacles. (laughs) (laughs) so funny trying to sabotage my plans yeah that is a hard thing like when you have life on top of homeschooling I guess that's one of the advantages that a teacher that goes to a brick and mortar building gets is that people kind of leave them alone you know to let them get their their stuff done that they need to but it definitely takes (laughs) some (laughs) it definitely takes some harnessing that time and you know sometimes I have to be blunt and mean about, about like um excuse me we're doing school right now so anyway yes I agree <laughs> so how do you combat discouragement or bad days well let's see you know where we you hear the skeptics that say oh I could never homeschool I just wouldn't have the patience for that <laughs> <laughs> and it's true no parent has the perfectly implemented plan without a tremendous amount of bumps in the road 
you know, those obstacles. <laughs> Nobody comes into this with the patience that's required to carry it out. But I've noticed that because life happens, there is increased patience. There's increased capacity. There's flexibility and resiliency to go back to the drawing board and try and figure it out again. And although it's frustrating that our schedules don't happen or that time seems to have declared war or that the kids are so successful at destroying any plan I <laughs> try to put into place, it's comforting to know that, you know, it'll all work out eventually. Exactly. So knowing that bad days are part of the deal, you're just going to have them. And that good days have to be purchased with the price of developing patience or fortitude or some other noble quality. It puts you in the right frame of mind to, to say, okay, that really stunk. Let's see what we can do to fix it next time. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's one thing I guess I love about homeschooling that I, I didn't uh, glean until years later is how much it has caused me to change for the better. You know, that yeah. that it did cause me to become more patient, a more patient mother. It caused me to love having my children around. You know, there was a day when I was like wishing the time away <laughs> you know, for when they would enter that school building. But it's made me a better person. And so I don't know if that's what I'm getting out of what you just said, I guess, is that yeah. you've gleaned. Yeah, and, and it gives you that ability to those discouragement, those bad days come and you just know it's going to work out. Yeah, we'll just I'm going to grow from this somehow. Yeah. You never get that growth by the positive. By the yeah, <laughs> you've got to have the, the negative and the trials to get the positive growth out of it. Before we go on, let us take a minute and hear about our sponsors. Hello, Firestarters. It's Mark here. I know there comes a time each week when you've listened to all the Luminous Wine podcasts that are available, and in a sad voice, you ask yourself, what am I to do now? Well, despair no more. Just go to theluminousmind.net and start your free 30-day trial from Audible and download two free audiobooks. Now you can fill that downtime while you wait for the next Luminous Mind podcast with a great book from the world's largest selection of professionally narrated audiobooks. You can choose from over 180,000 titles, including new releases and bestsellers, and you can exchange any book you don't love anytime, no questions asked, with a great listen guarantee. So until the next episode, start reading and keep the fire burning. Back to the Luminous Mind with Sandy Osborne, a homeschooling mentor. So, what are some successes that you've seen? You've been homeschooling for 18 years, so it's got to yeah. be something. Well, the opposite of success is failure, and since I'm still plugging away at it, I guess that's a pretty good success story. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, when I sat down and began homeschooling, I made a list of what I wanted to accomplish, have my children accomplish in their educational agenda. And I was surprised as I wrote the list just how little importance the skills of education were compared to how they utilized those skills. For instance, I started a list thinking that the advancement in math skills or a broad knowledge of history or a long portfolio of literature would be the all-end measure of their educational success. But as I set the goals, the end object always leaned towards like the caliber of their person 
or the good that they could accomplish with this or the personal fulfillment that they'll receive by the acquisition of these skills. And so that's where I I consider this. I'm not saying my children haven't had an impressive been there, done that portfolio, but I'm saying that what they've chosen to become and the influence that they have because of their educational skills is how I measure their success. Well, and it's far more gratifying when you see them doing positive things with that education versus, uh, I think as home educators, we really start to see the deeper picture and the deeper meaning than just the worldly honors, you know, that that there's a a greater underlying purpose for why we do what we do. So I'm so glad you answered these questions as you asked them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always just like reiterate back what I think I've learned from what you're you're saying. (laughs) So anyway, tell me about your school. I've known you for a little while and I want to know, you know, why you're opening it and what the philosophy will be and those types of things. Well, I will admit that it's only in the drawing board stages. A while back, I felt a very strong impression that I needed to get an LLC and open up a private school. And as far as where we're going with that, I'm not sure. I've put together some bylaws and started putting together curriculum because I just haven't found a curriculum out there that well, is me, (laughs) because I kind of have to tweak everything. And that class that your son's in, Creations, was kind of my first attempt at putting together a curriculum. I decided, "Eh, we're not going to go there. So I offered it through iFamily. So that's where it's at. And I kind of already explained my educational philosophy. It's going to be, the focus is going to be on focusing what is truth. And then I guess the students can define that differently, but know that where I come from is definitely from my LDS perspective. And that that's where the education will come from. Yeah. Well, and any teacher, I, I really think that somehow your religious beliefs does come out, even though they try to separate it. You always put your what you're teaching in your own perspective. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so I, to, I agree. 100%. <laughs> it's kind of like saying a newscaster has to be totally unbiased because it comes out somehow. Yeah. So what are some personal habits that help to make you successful? Oh, first of all, I really struggle with the concept of me being successful. This whole thing we do is never a one man show. (laughs) And I've experienced enough failure to know that success is a gift. It's not necessarily that I do this and this is the result. It's I put forth my best effort and sometimes it works. Sometimes I need to learn. Yeah. (laughs) That said, there are some foundational elements in our day that I feel contribute to what I consider our victories. I'm pretty good at filling my own bucket before I try to fill my children's. I really value adequate rest. And so if I'm feeling fatigued or if I sense that monster mom's on her way, (laughs) I go jump into bed and take a power nap. So (laughs) that's how I serve my children in that respect. I, let's see, I exercise every day or most, at least several times a week. And I try to eat healthily. I do my personal scripture study and my personal prayers. And I study what's interesting. I love to study as soon as I can, (laughs) because I have to take care of their school. But as soon as I can, you know, I, I look into what I want to learn. And it's not only to be an example to them, but so that I'm also reaping the benefits of those daily disciplines, doing those things that in time will pay off. We begin each learning period with a devotional, which has elements of strengthening our allegiance to God and to our family and to our country. And, well, we discuss everything. (laughs) I I think I'm a philosopher at heart, and so my children get to hear all about my analytical random thoughts and my epiphanies. And so we just discuss a lot. And probably the last thing I'd mention is we're extremely flexible. We have rhythms instead of schedules, so we just kind of go with the flow. 
we take losses with a better luck next time. <laughs> <laughs> and I modify or I tweak almost everything. We just kind of reach for the ideal. But if it doesn't happen, that's okay. We don't have our feet kicked out from under us. That is awesome. Wow, what a powerful way to take that mentorship and to turn it around so it's a, a positive for your family. So, And speaking of it not being a one-man show, how do you think your family has benefited the most from homeschooling? Oh, I'd probably say um, the unity we experience as a family. Uh, we have a very open dialogue. Very little conversation goes on behind closed doors, so to speak. I don't think that's just because we're stuck together 24 7 <laughs> but because we work as a team I mean we do our chores at the same time we assist take care of the the younger children whether it's somebody else's available or not you know we see a need we take care of it we do our studies together lots of discussions that puts us on the same page if one member's having a trial we're all there to help them or to get under their skin whatever the case may be <laughs> But, you know, family reading, family playing games together, just lots of time spent together creates that unity. And I, I really see that as a benefit in, in my family. Yeah, my husband and I actually have talked a lot about that lately, is that our children have come to us and talked to us about things. And I'm like, I don't think I would have ever done that. But it was a much more, my home was a much more segregated home. You know, the, we yeah. didn't discuss things out in the open. <laughs> we let Isn't it that funny. Yeah, we let it stir under the surface until it boiled over. Over and and there was a lot of um, if I had to confide in anyone, it was my friends. And even now, you know, I look at my my family that I grew up in, and we're much more dependent on our friends than we are necessarily each other, which I find very sad. <laughs> and I, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely a benefit to homeschooling is that everything as much it, nothing can be segregated anymore. You know. That it's all there out in the open, like you said. So I'm mean, that's what I'm getting from what you said. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a very hard time, you know, keeping financial problems or any discussions keep from the children. We don't just like hush, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Just... <laughs> there is no later. Kind of open. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. Let's deal with it. Well, and, and the weird thing is too, like I would have never went into my parents' room. My kids are always sitting on our bed at night. A whole group of them. I can't get them out of my room. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, like, I get up at really early hours. Can you guys all go to bed? (laughs) So I have actually instigated a, okay, it's time to tuck mom in because I'm always way more (laughs) tired than they are. So anyway, that's just amazing. So what are are some long-term goals that you have for yourself or for your family? Oh, well, aside from becoming victors of this celestial mugging. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Let's see. During the summer, I had the privilege of going on a sister's retreat, and we went to the play The Man of La Mancha at the Health Center Theater. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. Oh, it's really amazing. The action is right in your lap almost. It's really up close and personal. And the drama was so close and so intense that I really was inspired by Don Quixote's quest to dream the impossible dream. And so as I was putting together our own, what I call our colossal quest, I kind of was inspired by Don Quixote's impossible dream. So here goes. It's definitely not as beautiful sounding, but it's what resonates and the wording is what speaks to my heart. So these are our goals. To live a principled and virtuous life, to aspire to greatness, to engage in freedom's cause, to fulfill my life service, to be a force for good, and to prove faithful to the right. Wow. You asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, that is powerful. Now, that's our, yeah, it, those are what resonates. That, that's really what my innermost desire is, to be that knight in shining armor that pursues this impossible thing, but even if all the odds are against you from accomplishing it, that that's what the goal is. But that was our goal of being. As far as doing, it's probably right now establishing my school, First Foundations Academy. That's great. To go back and talk about something that we <laughs> talked about before, though, is that we do find, I mean, as homeschoolers, it does become a natural thing where we finally move to a, a situation where we're, we pull away from the worldly honors of what everyone else is, thinks is. And maybe it's because we finally get to a point that we really don't care what anyone thinks about right? <laughs> But and and find something a little deeper. That's meaning. right. Yeah, I'm not trying to be popular anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've decided I was I was out of the door as soon as I said I homeschooled. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's so great. So, what's some advice or encouragement you'd give to someone who's just starting out? Oh, I'd have to say that homeschooling isn't for everyone. Yeah, and I I I don't mean that because there's differing personalities or. Um, you don't have time for that type of commitment or that some children respond better to other mentors than they do to their own parents. I mean, those are all possible problems. <laughs> They're very secondary. They can be modified and adapted if necessary. And overcome, definitely. Yes, yes. What I mean is that homeschooling is a huge responsibility. Uh, it's a ginormous undertaking. And if you're going to invest that much of your time and commitment and dedication, then <laughs> it better be the right right use of your time. I mean, it better be right for you. Whereas we all have a personal mission. If your mission is to perform some other service and, and you take on homeschooling, then it will only distract you from accomplishing your mission. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense? No, it does. <laughs> and I've seen that before, too, that you can't serve two masters type of thing. You know, you can't do what you feel is your mission and try to homeschool because <laughs> one or the other falls through. So. But on the same token, most homeschoolers are homeschoolers because they do feel called. Something about it's not logic. It's not because somebody convinced them or it's a bandwagon movement. It's because they feel that they're um, I had a friend way back in Boise a long time ago who had decided to homeschool, and she was really excited about it. She got, she did all her pros and cons and did all her homework and decided this was the route she wanted to go with her children. She started buying curriculum and all this stuff, and then it occurred to her that she never really received a confirmation that this was the best thing for her to do. And so she thought, oh, surely this is a noble cause. The Lord will condone this. That's no problem. But she prayed about it, and she was totally floored to find out that she was supposed to put her child in public school. <laughs> and she just, what? Why would he want that? Yeah. And it was it was a painful choice for her to abandon her plans to the Lord's. But um, I think a lot of times people do the opposite. They don't even take it to the Lord or they don't consider what their purpose is. And either, if they do make a conscious decision to put them in public school, they neglect to pray about it. Yeah. So, and it can yeah, go, it I can think, go either way, right? You could put them in public school, not thinking about it, not really praying about it. I mean, depending on what your, I mean, if you're raising children, you need to get that confirmation one way or the other, right? It it would be helpful, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, do you have a favorite book or resource that you want to share? Oh, so many. <laughs> Eighteen years worth. <laughs> 
Um, okay, I'll just say that the most recent book that I gained a lot of ahas from is a book called The Slight Edge. It's basically a book that expounds on the law of the harvest. You know, if you plant a seed now and cultivate it, it will produce results later. But it's how we do those daily disciplines of reading from a book or practicing the piano or daily exercise or any of those things that if you do it, you're not going to see immediate results. But if you don't do it, you're not going to see immediate results. (laughs) It's easy to do and it's easy not to do. And because it's easy not to do, it's easy to neglect it more frequently. I mean, if you don't brush your teeth, your teeth aren't going to fall out the next day. Because those results are delayed, that that's where we fall back is because we don't get the, boy, I just slaughtered that. (laughs) (laughs) So before it's too late. Yeah. (laughs) Another book suggestion is more like a category. For instance, the book Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter was one of the first pieces of literature that I read as I was on my homeschool journey. Excellent book. I love the author's use of the language. It was influential, informational and entertaining. You know, it was a very good book. However, one could read the book and have an enjoyable experience or one can read it, ponder it, discuss it, maybe even write about it and have a transformational experience. So it's no longer getting through the book, it's getting the book through you. This process of internalizing what was powerful. That's hard. Was by far, it, it is hard, but it was by far the best resource I found in learning how to homeschool and how to inspire learning to my own children is when I found something that was powerful and you ponder it and you discuss it and you think about it and you internalize it. So I don't know if that's a book or a resource, but it's definitely something that was most beneficial to me. And we don't limit it to literature. It can be we watch a movie and we discuss it or we go to an event or we hear a current event in the world or learn about a person. It's limitless. You can find what's powerful and and internalize it in any aspect. Well, and being able to initiate our learning, to take that learning and to turn it into something that becomes the core of you. That is that is a really difficult thing, you know, trying to trying to take that learning and become something more from that. That is a really wonderful resource. Thank you. (laughs) So if you could leave a legacy, what would it be? Oh, well, one of my favorite quotes is from Gandhi says that be the change you wish to see in the world. And so I think if I were to leave a legacy, that that's what I'd want everyone to see that I was. How do I word this? Mastery over myself and that I was consistent with my ideals. So my plan is consistent with my action. (laughs) Yeah, back to that internalization, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, live and be consistent with my own ideals and overcome that hypocrisy. That hypocrisy is so hard. I discover that I'm hypocritical on so many different levels. You think you master something and then you find something else. And But that's probably, as far as myself, that's probably my ideal. If I could extend that power, I want everybody else to have that too, to be true to their true character. Yeah. Well, and that is a hard thing. I spout off a lot of what I think should happen or how I should be. And then, you know, like I said, my life. How they should be. Yeah, or, yeah, and it's much different than that. I and mean, that's one of the dangers of actually knowing some of your Facebook friends. <laughs> <You know? laughs> actually, no. <laughs> so that's great, or a great legacy to leave. Do you have any final parting words of advice before we say goodbye? And then give us your, I mean, do you mind giving your contact information of how we can get in touch with you? Regarding... Parting words. I wasn't sure how to wrap up my philosophy or my (laughs) presentation in the last part, but I was thinking the founding fathers defined education having three components. It has 
knowledge, morals, and religion. And for the long time, well, my own experience was you had knowledge at public school and you had your morals and religion at home. I'm finding that you really cannot separate those three elements. They're kind of like stuck together. So if you're getting your knowledge without doing those other parts of it, then you're getting it without you even realizing it. (laughs) Because when you look at what the public school does, it's supposed to be secular knowledge only, but it's all done without a religion agenda, which in itself is a religion agenda. (laughs) So when you're getting that training, what is it, six to eight hours a day plus homework? Yeah. Of, of this atheistic or this humanistic viewpoint, and then you're only getting the religion and the morals for a few hours a day, there's a conflict. So yeah. it, it was a big eye-opener to me going, you, you really cannot separate them because it's one truth. They're all cohesive. Well, it is kind of funny how, you know, they put those worldly honors, like we've talked about before, and, and doing well in school high, and then we get <laughs> mad at them when they cheat on their test. <laughs> There isn't any character being taught, you know, any reasons of doing something for a higher reason than just having A's, you know, just just having good grades. Yeah. Anyway, my contact information would be sadieburn at ymail.com or you can find me on Facebook. So. Well, now I can see why I got so many, like, you've got to talk to this lady. She's amazing. I've talked to you a little bit at iFamily, but not I'm enough. I'm not sure why you did. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been very inspiring. I've been inspired by you. So, But thank you. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. To learn more about Sandy Osborne, go to our show notes at theluminousmind.net. Also, be sure to become a subscriber to our free email list so you can receive notifications for our weekly audio blog, The Spark. We would love to have you join our program. Do so by going to the scheduling tab and become a Firestarter today. Help support the podcast by making all your Amazon purchases through the free Amazon widget on our website, theluminousmind.net. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Google+. Get our audio content on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. Leave us a review. Tell us how we can help you so together we can continue to light minds on fire and change the paradigm of education 